We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I'm sitting here at O'Neill's Stadium Inn. I can see the side of Ralph Wilson Stadium. I guess it's called Highmark, but I'm never going to call it that in my lifetime. You just did. See, and I'm sitting here with three of the smarter people I've ever met in podcasting: uh, Joe Miller, hi, John Fina, yo, and Joe Marino. What's up? You guys probably know you probably know them to be far smarter, more intelligent, more well spoken than anything you've heard on our podcast. Which is why I love, I just love getting everybody together out at a bar, having a couple beers, talking a little bit of football. Drew, I got to stop you right there because you don't get enough credit for what you are within the Buffalo Bills podcasting community. Right, you're the OG, man. You're you're the guy Pioneer. that did this before anybody else did this. Pioneer. And we owe you a debt of gratitude for what you did to pave the way to give people the ideas to do this stuff. So right off the bat, Drew, I want to give you a lot of credit for what you've done. And uh, it's uh, I know it means a lot to us and it means a lot to Bill's Mafia. Absolutely. Well, son of a bitch, I don't know what to say about that because uh, <laughs> self-deprecating humor is what I'm best at. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. I really do. And I'm good at giving you as much as you can tolerate. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about Fina is that he met me and it took him less than 30, less than 30 minutes to realize like, oh, I could talk shit to this guy. And it's it's been fun since then. I enjoy it. And I like that you're in town. I like that we get together and do these you're, things. You're kind of an easy target. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. It's low-hanging fruit. But also thick skin, right? Because you, exactly. can't, you can't be me without being able to take a few. So last time we got together and did this, it was right at the start of training camp. And we were celebrating the contract extension for Josh Allen. And we were talking about camp and everything that was to come. Now we're getting together at the tail end of training camp. 
it's interesting. I was talking to Joe Marino here before we got started recording earlier today, and we were talking about the dynamic shift. Now, you two were both, both Joe Miller and Joe Marino, at camp today. And so you got to take in what was the final practice of the week, of camp, really. I remember when I was credentialed for the final practice of Sean McDermott's very first training camp. 2017, I'm standing on the sidelines talking to Sal Capaccio. And as we're sitting here, we're talking about this, and we watch Sean McDermott sit all 90 guys. He just sloppy play, blew the whistles, came out to the middle, made everyone take a knee, and cussed everyone out. Verbally undressed the entire team. John Fina does that to me every time when we're <laughs> off the air. <laughs> to my per- and then later, I undress him for real. <laughs> <laughs> and so... But watch it. I looked at Sal Capaccio and I go, Sal, is this a thing? Like, is this a thing that happens at training camp? And he was scrambling for his notepad going, no, this is, I've never seen this before in my career covering a team. Because it was his way of letting those guys know, listen, we're not the most talented team in the world, but there is a a standard of execution that exists here now because I'm the head coach. And I say so. Fast forward to this year. I guarantee you there was none of that, was there? No, I think one of my biggest takeaways from being at camp Wednesday and Thursday was that this is a well-oiled machine. These guys are focused, they're competitive, they're intense, there's good energy. It's almost like watching a high school practice that first day where everybody's dialed in and they're they're sprinting from drill to drill. Everybody's very, very focused. Now, there's definitely a lot of personality and guys moving around and dancing and having a good time together, but these guys are competitive, they're focused, and you can tell that there is a real process about the way that they conduct themselves on that practice field. You, you can feel that watching it, especially because I've been at some other camps this year, and it wasn't like that. Really? What other camps were you at? Uh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have said that, Drew, because I knew you I knew you wouldn't just let that go, right? You want no. to let that go. But I happen to live in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and there's a professional football team down there that uh, didn't practice the same way that I watched the Buffalo Bills. They have the other two 2018 quarterbacks. Yeah. they. <laughs> you know, Joe, that's a good point. How good hilarious point. is it? Like, how funny is that? That Like, I, I, I said it, I feel bad because the Carolina Panthers seem like this team that's just snake-bitten. Yeah. Into, outside of Cam Newton, when you watch from Dell home to what they've decided to do at quarterback, they, well, got, Cam, yeah, it, yeah, they, they kind of fell into Cam Newton. Yes, very Number much one so. overall pick. They rode him for as long as they could, and then afterwards they were like, hey, let's trade for Sam Darnold knowing that he needs that fifth-year option. like it, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. We're going to get it. And then they act like they have buyer's remorse and try to get rid of it. It's like, no, you can't. Listen, right. you know what? It's the uniforms. Sorry. <laughs> it's the curse of shitty uniforms. <laughs> hey, those uniforms suck. Sorry, they're just not going to be good. It's like Miami now. I mean, the uniform curse. They're terrible. Terrible. Arizona. But listen, t- uh, to your point, Joe Marino, about – uh, the difference between that first training camp and now what they're like, right? So losing is a disease. It's a cancer. And you just, you know, when you come in and take over a team, you're not sure where the cancer is, right? What do cancers do? What do cancer doctors do? They go to surgery, they find the bad tissue, and they they get rid of it, right? They resect it. So he's still in that process his first year of like, where's the cancer? And I'm going to just go balls to the wall and put pressure on these guys and find the cancers and just get rid of them. And now, what do you have instead? You have a winning program. You have belief, right? These guys believe. So with belief comes fidelity, comes energy, comes commitment. 
So that's it just becomes so much easier to go to camp year after year when you feel like you have a chance. And when you're a dog shit football team, you like staring that camp date, that report date on the calendar and you're like, This sucks. Yeah. You yeah. know, you don't wanna go. And I don't you know what? Guys get paid a lot of money and everybody in the public's like, Well, they get paid a lot of money, but you know, it's the human spirit. And when your spirit is crushed, you know, showing up for anything ain't fun. Yeah, I think for me, I've been going to camp for probably 14 years. And I think the, the word for me and Joe and Marino and I talked about it was efficiency. And when you talk about winning, excellence is a big piece of that, right? The reason the Patriots were good for so long was because of the excellence level at which they executed stuff. And that comes from efficiencies, which comes from preparedness. And I don't think you can have that efficiency level that they have in camp unless the guys are required and they know I've got to be prepared. And I think that's a big difference. I think that those efficiencies happen because the players know it's trickled down, right? We've got to be ready. John, I'd like to ask you a question because one of the interesting components of that 2017 Bills team that went 9-7, and seven, broke the drought, went to the playoffs – Nobody expected that to happen, right? Everybody said they were tanking. Well, they tanked their way to the playoffs. How important do you think it was for Sean McDermott that year? You talked about buying and getting players to believe in your messaging, to believe in what you're going to be able to do for them and their career. Like, is it an underrated talking point in the glow-up of this Buffalo Bills team that in year one, they went out and won and set that standard, and you got that buy-in right away, whereas you see some of these other coaches, like look at Brian Dable with the Giants. Nobody's expecting anything from that team, and they're probably going to win three, four games, picking in the top five. Now, those guys probably on that roster won't be part of that solution, but there's going to be some. But how important do you think it was that that year that he went out and and did everything that they could to win? They had to you know make some moves, get some guys out of the way, maybe get rid of some of the cancers. But how much do you think that went in terms of getting that buy-in to set the tone for the future? Well, it goes a long way, first of all. So to answer your question quickly, yes. But going back to what Joe was saying, uh, Joe Miller, since we had two Joes out here, you know, the, the efficiency of practice, you know, to know what's coming every day. You know, Marv Levy and Wade Phillips, God damn it, they ran their practices, and we knew what periods – the efficiencies were in place, and you were able to just go to work, no questions asked. You knew what was coming next. You were prepared, and you were able to feel that stability. So you take over a team. It's in disarray, and then you got to decide what kind of a head coach you are, right? I mean, I'm not guessing or casting aspersions here, but it's a pretty nice upgrade to go from a coordinator to a head coach. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the tools in place to get it done, that you have the desire to get it done. I mean, you can't look at Sean McDermott at any practice or Brandon Bean and say, these guys don't give a shit. I mean, that's laser focus. And when that comes from the top down, it resonates. And players, they, they just feel it. And they know that there's an expectation there. And they know that they're under the microscope. And that, that's what the game's all about. I mean. Think about it. You got 17 chances to show that you're worth a shit to be asked back the next year. And as a head coach, you want those guys to have that pressure. Great job. So you work 17 weeks. Arguably, I say you work 35 weeks. But the pressure is crazy to perform. So if you can maintain that fever pitch from the GM to the head coach, to the coordinators, down through the position coaches, and you believe and you get the right people in place, it becomes like 
a good virus, if you will. Can I ask you a follow-up? And I, I, I'm there sorry, will be I, no follow-up. This is a rare opportunity. I've got a 10-year starter right here in the NFL, right? There, there's, there's stuff to get into about this. You hear about – I've heard this so many times. The best teams are the ones that have player-driven leadership. How does that correlate with what you just said about that top-down emphasis? What does that mean when, that, when the players start taking over that? So first of all, like as a head coach, you gotta you gotta find those guys, and then you, you know sometimes there's individual meetings with your position coach, your OC, the head coach, where they pull you in and say, "Look, I need you to drive this team, right? I need you to be uh, not just a an example on the practice field, but I need you to be a vocal guy, right? So we need a combination of both of those things, and th- there's a there's a plan to that. You know, it can happen organically when you have guys like Stefan Diggs out there who, who's, you know, whose give-a-shit meter, as we were talking about earlier, his give-a-shit meter is at zero. He don't care. He's going to say it. He's going to drive that team. But in the absence of that, you have to cultivate those players. And you have to you, – you do that by setting the example at leadership level, right, from the GM, from the owner to the GM to the head coach – you have to set that example. You have to drive that example. You have to pick players that you think who can cultivate it in the locker room. But it, it, it is huge. Even, even when we were terrible, I think we were, I don't know, we were 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 my last year here. You know, Reuben Brown, vocal leader. John Fina, you know, kind of quiet sword in the locker room. Just, you know, look at guys and just say, get your shit done. Reuben gets the, gets the temperature up, right, gets the pulse going. You need guys to fill all those gaps, and you need to identify them, and you put them on a mission. No question about it. Well, and so to bring that all the way back around, the when you look at what the Bills have now, one of the reasons that we're a Super Bowl favorite is because it seems very much like they have that figured out, right? They have leaders at every single level of this football team, and almost every single phase of the game, you can look at the Bills roster and find two or three guys who you go, not only are they leaders off, like in the locker room, off the field, on the field, on game day, I've got two or three guys at every single position group who I can trust to go out there and lead by example that are going to go out there and set the tone, that are going to play at a very high level and dare other people to come meet them. That's why we are where we are. And so it's just crazy to think about how we got here from where McDermott started and where he picked this team up. Everybody talks about Josh Allen. Sean McDermott doesn't get nearly enough credit for the job he's done cultivating all of this. So now as camp's kind of closing out here we're done it's over take a look back at some of the superlatives and some of the individual performances that we you, you saw that you joe saw that we all read about who as far as the rookie class who was the one that stood out to you most joe i think it's got to be christian benford six round pick out of villanova he's getting first team reps platooning with Kyrie Elam, the first round pick. I mean, do we have a, a Kyle Williams, John McCargo situation right. on our hands? You know what I mean? Like, right. there's a lot that has to play. Did, your... you, did you just bring up John McCargo hey, anytime on my you... fucking podcast? <laughs> yeah. Am I done? Is this oh, it for me? Am I out? Yeah. Get the hook. Get the hook. No. Bring, it, bring in the lefty. I'm out. Get the shots. Somebody get shots. Somebody just said John McCargo. Listen, you, gotta, you can drop a name. You got to drop a name. But look, I, I think it says a lot that this kid out of Villanova 
has positioned himself to get first-team reps. Am I predicting today that he's going to be a starter for the Bills or that he'll ever turn into anything meaningful? But it didn't take long for this guy to be getting those opportunities. And maybe that's a little bit of Kyer Elam and the adjustment coming from a press man corner at Florida uh, to, to not playing a lot of off coverage and really in camp not getting a chance to use some of his best qualities to showcase himself the best that he has in the past. And there's, there's a curve there, but... When you hear about a guy like Christian Benford getting these opportunities, the way that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott is talking about him, I, I, I think that for me is very clearly the biggest surprise. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot to be said. And I went, I got to go to camp five times, so I got, I got super, super uh, lucky this year to be in attendance five different times. And it was a blast. But for me, it was seeing just the juice and the energy, the flashes from guys like James Cook and, and Khalil Shakir. And, and it what's interesting about it is as i'm watching james cook i'm looking for the contact balance right i'm looking for him getting through the line now obviously they weren't tackling to the ground necessarily but it was clear there's a different there's a difference between the way the way he runs the way that that his speed the way that he carries himself versus devin who is a confident borderline dominant like run nfl graded running back uh, and then Khalil Shakir is every. I mean, he's got all those. He's got all those crazy highlight catches. And Joe and I were talking about this yesterday. But he also has those weird drops. And all of that showed up at camp. All of it. It was great. Well, one of the great things that I love about we talked about it uh, a week or two ago on our podcast was that everybody loves a rookie who's flashing when there's no pads. Yeah. And then the second you introduce contact pep practices and you put the pads on, what you find out is that those rookies who were really showing off, they shrink a little bit. But it's not their fault. It's because you got now you're in the deep end of the pool with guys who have done this on Sunday. These guys now can get their hands on you and they can show you the physicality of NFL caliber football. And it's like the competition gets ratcheted up a notch that these young kids have to acclimate to. So it's not uncommon to see a guy like Khalil Shakir show off for weeks when it's just, hey, right here playing flag football. Second you introduce a little clutch and a little grab and, hey, I can hit you off the line, I can do you see them kind of fall by the wayside. You don't hear so much about them anymore. You know all about that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. Uh, you know, a big thing with going tying this leadership in the locker room back is when I came to Buffalo, it was an old team, long in the tooth, but there was just an expectation. And if you have the right leadership in the locker room, then these guys show up to practice and they know it's not, it's not BS. And it, it's not just at practice, it's before practice in the locker room, after practice. You know, I was fortunate. I had Steve Tasker and Pete Metzelars and Mark Pike, you know, guys that, you know, whether they ever end up in the Hall of Fame or not, they knew what locker rooms needed to be like. And they knew that when rookies came in, and especially now that the draft is only, what, seven rounds, right, that they trust in Bean and McDermott and the OCs to get the right guys in the draft, then they they come in and then they kind of mold them, you know, by by example, uh, vocally talking to them about what their performance needs to be. So it's really no surprise to me because they draft on quality people, quality talent, and then they put them in a situation in a locker room with guys that, you know, can, can let them know what it means to be a Buffalo Bill. And if you have an identity and say, this is who we are, that means something. You know, and when you're when you're a program or, or a, a team that's swirling the drain, you can bring rookies in, great players, and and they just feel lost. 
right? Because they're not driven. They don't see and hear the examples that they have to emulate. We watched 20 years of it. You did, yeah. <laughs> and thankfully, I wasn't there. <laughs> I handed it off. Yeah, you, you know when off. I when I left, I, I gave you a real shit show that said, "Hey, I'm out of Western New York. Enjoy my time yeah, here." Yeah, thanks, thanks, bud. Yeah, we, you, we appreciate. Yeah, it. I do what I can. So, so for me, I. Just reading the reports and seeing who was acclimating and getting talking to some of these guys off air and you know DMing with different people who were there at practice every day. For me, I think I was encouraged by Terrell Bernard, but that's because for me the floor for that pick started so low. I was just you can't get mad about a third round pick, but you can because I'm looking at the roster and I'm going, we still need a speed wide receiver. Like we still need another wide receiver. We. no one knows what's going on with Sanders at the time. Nobody knows what's happening with... They're going to need somebody else. I need a body at wide receiver, and I'm looking at Kelvin Austin coming off the board. I'm looking at... Uh, Channing Tindall goes after the pick, and I go, we don't have a Sam linebacker. Who? Well, what the hell are we doing here? It just... When I saw them take Terrell Bernard, I immediately, I'm like, who? And I pull up his draft profile, and I start reading it. The Draft Network, Joe... Because I crib- Hey, not going to lie. Thank you. I crib a lot of my draft prep off of your website. That's why we exist, brother. So Keep doing thank it. thank you. But uh, so I'm looking at this, and I'm like, okay, so he's a kind of – he's like Matt Milano in the sense that he's a great off-ball linebacker. He, you know, His draft profile reads that, yeah, he's going to struggle to disengage from blocks because he's not a heavy guy. He's not a big guy. He's lived up thus far through practice to his – to his billing, which is good because if that's who he was, that's who the team expected him to be when they drafted him and said, hey, we can mold you to be more than that. I think the reason that I'm impressed by that is that when the pads went on, he still kept making plays. When offensive linemen got a shot to get their hands on him, he was still on blitzes. He was coming in, being disruptive. I look at Matt Milano and I say to myself, you're a guy whose cap hit next year is $13 million for a weak side linebacker. It's a lot of money when your quarterback's getting paid $39 million. I mean, the cap's going to go up to about two thirty, but the bills are already on the book for two thirty-five. So that cap increase isn't going to help us. We're still going to be behind the eight ball monetarily. It would be shrewd, but I'll tell you what, if you hoist a Lombardi here in 2022 and no one gives a crap that you cut uh, Matt Milano to save some cap space. I would disagree. Well... Now, I'm a huge fan of Brett Coleman. Brett Coleman comes on our show. We talk about things. He has a man crush on Matt Milano, and he says the reason why is because not just he can't not just the pass protection stuff. Like he erased Mark Andrews in that playoff game against Baltimore. Right. But the fact that he can play from the back of the the back of the front seven box and then come downhill so quickly, and he's instinctive against the run. He never seems to pick the wrong lane when he's trying to. Hey, I I can't let this guy flow here. I've got to force him to the outside. He's more he's right more often than he's wrong, and that allows him to cheat in pass protection. And it's a it's a rare thing. Nobody can play the weak side linebacker sure. position the way he does. Sure. A rookie's not going to have that. Correct. I'm interested to watch him develop over the course of this preseason to see what he looks like. He's going to get his opportunities in the preseason again. Well, they've, they've already they've already announced that he's learning both. So Leslie Frazier has said he's learning both positions. So he's going to get a lot of a lot of this like, hey, I have to learn how to read and fill. Right. If he can step forward in that kind of role over the course of this season, his development's going to be fun for me because he already showed in camp he, hey, he belongs. He's played with second team, he's played with first team, and he doesn't look lost. Let's see him in the preseason when it matters when against it matters, another yep. team. 
And then let's see it on Sundays this season and see how they decide to roll him in. I mean, Matt Milano's never played a full season, so there may come a time when they have to put him in the lineup. For me, I'm just looking at Terrell Bernard going, if he could show out over the course of his rookie year, over time, the way Matt Milano did, he had to fight Ramon Humber for a starting job, which I'll still, I hold that against Sean McDermott till the day I die. Ramon fucking Humber is starting. (laughs) You got to earn it, Drew. You got to earn it. I understand that. And and now I understand the value of this. But so for me, I see that and I go, if he could just develop a little bit, they could choose to be a little shrewd here and save themselves some money. Now, Joe, would that be folly? Um, what I, what I, Drew, you and I have had similar journeys with the Terrell Bernard pick. And um, unfortunately for me, my instant reaction to the Terrell Bernard pick was uh, broadcasted for the world to see on YouTube, right? So uh, <laughs> you guys can check that out. Uh, just search it on YouTube. You'll see that. But as I was able to spend time thinking about Terrell Bernard and what he can mean for the Bills' defense, my initial response was, if the Bills drafted a linebacker in the third round, they, there's clearly a plan that they view this as a developmental starter, but I didn't think Terrell Bernard was the guy that could step in for Tremaine Evans, right? Like, there's not a – to me, I don't look at him, him as a Mike linebacker. I just don't. And so that was my initial issue with it. I was like, what's the path for this guy to get on the field? Well, the more I thought about it, the more I thought – like, you should go back to Carolina. The, the things that Bean and McDermott did in Carolina, they've replicated a lot of that here, and they should, right? That's why they're in these positions. They had Keekley. They had Thomas Davis. You know what they still did? They drafted Shaq, Shaq Thompson in the freaking first round, right? Yep. Three first-round linebackers. I remember calling that hat on a hat and saying it was dumb. He was a great player. Yes. And so what? what but what did they do with Shaq Thompson? They used him as an overhang defender, the, the, the quote-unquote Buffalo nickel. Yep. So to me, Terrell Bernard, while he – is being trained at multiple spots. To me, this is the Bills' path to playing three linebackers. This is their path to being able to be more versatile with their personnel on defense. The Bills are going to face a lot of rushing offense, right? Not just because Josh Allen's your quarterback and other teams are going to want to run the football because they want to control the clock and keep 17 on the sideline. Like, that's a natural symptom of having Josh Allen as your quarterback. The other side of that is just look at the landscape of the AFC. The entire AFC East run first teams Patriots Jets Dolphins you have two Shanahan disciples in Belichick who they know their bread and butters running the football even Brady was there they ran the football the entire AFC North is about running the football the AFC South the two best teams Titans and Colts Derrick Henry Jonathan run the football and then you want to invite those AFC West teams the Chiefs and the Chargers to get out of their stadiums and come play here Literally. <laughs> we can see it up Literally. It's right. awesome. We can see the lights. This uh, is why. Literally. The lights, Fina, the lights are on. Fina asked me, he goes, O'Neal's, like when I, he goes, O'Neal's again. I go, dude, where else can you sit here with the lights off? The lights in the stadium are on and we're looking at it right now. This is the place I came the night Ralph, uh, the, the night uh, Ralph Wilson died. I came and I sat in that parking lot with a lawn chair with beers and security came out. Me and my buddy are sitting out there with a couple t- six packs of tall boys we got from the gas station and lawn chairs. And they didn't kick us out. The guy got out of his truck and sat and had a beer with us, and we just talked about the team and about Ralph and just our all of our mutual uncertainty. And then I found myself here. Right. So sitting here looking at it, like, to me, this is it's catharsis. I like it. Now, John, come on. That has to stir something in you, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love looking at the stadium out the open window here. Beautiful. Uh Western New York weather, not like Tucson, Arizona, where we'd be like, close the goddamn window, turn the AC down. <laughs> but I want to talk about what Joe Marino said. Um, like defense, this is the this is the ultimate problem, right? Because 
you if you want to put three linebackers on the field, that third linebacker is basically a large, strong safety. Yeah. And I've been saying for years, like if I came back and played football, the only position that I would never want to be is a linebacker. You got to run like a leopard. You can't be right. Yeah, yeah. And you got to yeah. fill like a bull. Well, especially with the RPO right? game, the yeah. you can't. They, they literally scheme it so that you can't be right. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the worst position on the football field, being a linebacker in the NFL. There's, there's just no winning. Like, you're always compromised. Like, oh, they expect you to cover like a, like a safety, and now they expect you to full fill like on a dive. I just don't know who fits that bill. So I do like what you're saying, though, like, well, you know, we can get three linebackers back onto the field, you know, stop the run, get the ball back into Josh's hands. We'll see. And it, it goes back to what you said earlier, Drew, about the pads go on. What kind of player are you going to be? I, I don't know. I, I, I know Teddy Bruschi, and mm-hmm. I know you know who he is. Oh, I know who he and is. And if Teddy were standing here right now, you would say— I'd leave the room. He, I'd leave the fucking room. I'd climb out this goddamn window. Well, he, he came from my alma mater. <laughs> and you'd look at Teddy and say, really, this guy? But it's it's instinct. It's what you were saying about Matt Milano, right? Yes. Making the right instinctual play, playing the inside shoulder, the outside shoulder. Teddy had that. Teddy had that in spades. I mean, the guy just knew the game. He felt the game, and he could diagnose and react so quickly. And it, I don't know what to say. I mean, Terrell Bernard, I like the pick. I like the way he can move. I like his hips. But... We gotta see it, it got, but it I don't know. Like, it. where do you play him? I like Milano. I, you know, I don't get into the cap stuff. I know you guys like that <laughs> stuff. You're already in like 2023 decisions. I'm just trying to get to the goddamn playoffs in January. <laughs> I, I don't understand you. Can I not just be a fan this year? Talk about like this year. You're like, you're you're like a year and a year ahead of me right now, and I don't like it. Okay. I want to live in the moment. Okay, so you want to live in the moment? Let me ask you this. Who was the, what was your the most disappointing performance? If there was a player here who disappointed you, we can be candid. Who did you watch and go I or hear about and everything you read, you expected to see more out of that person than they gave you over the course of this training camp? Well, this look, I this year, who disappointed the most? That, that's not my. That's not a question I know it's for not. me. I live in Arizona, right? I, I know mean, it's. I not. thought you were going to go back to last season, and I would have just, you know, I'm sorry, Cody, but you weren't the guy. Oh Jesus! But, no, no. You know when I decided Cody Ford doesn't need to be a member of this football team? Last year, I had to repay a bet. I had to pay a bet that I made with Greg Thompson of the Cover One Podcast. Because I bet him that Brian Dable, because I'm not a Brian Dable fan, which is arguable, it's 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 almost an indefensible thing to say. Just move on. I know, because Joe looks like he's about to yell Just at me. Just move on. So this is, so I said it, his third quarters suck, and that's going to cost us. And sure enough, in that playoff game, there are, we have a sluggish third quarter, and the Colts are hanging on. And I go, here we go, we're going to lose this playoff game because we, well, they win. I need to buy takes Greg Thompson out for a white linen steak dinner. So we go to the Chop House downtown in Buffalo. And yeah, he, I remember you, I didn't get in it. My invite got lost in the mail. Listen, Aaron Quinn piggybacked along with us. <laughs> and I, I don't know if any of you know Aaron Quinn outside of podcasting. He's like a real-life version of Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Really? He just, it, he's full of foibles, and he always has a problem with something. He's like, well, I don't know what to wear. I don't have dress shoes. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I don't know what you guys want. So we told him, listen, some white New Balance, it was a whole day-long saga 
that resulted in wear a sport coat and some white New Balances as long as you wear a button-down shirt and tuck it in. No one, no one will say a damn thing to you. So he gets there after this whole day of agonizing over this and come to find out Cody Ford walks past us while we're standing outside in the parking lot. He's coming into a white linen steak dinner with gray sweatpants. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gray sweatpants, a red T-shirt, and a gigantic chain on. Oh, yeah. And I saw him, and I go, if that's how you go out to a steak dinner, I don't want you on my football team. I'm sorry. That's probably, yeah. That's... you're, pro- you're probably misjudging a little bit. I don't, no, I don't no, think no, that's no, 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 but, do but, but, the way he but plays the, football. But the funniest so, part is, Aaron goes, what the fuck? He can wear sweatpants. Why can't I? I go, they know his paycheck. <laughs> they know how much he makes. They're not going to kick him out. Story. So the question was, is who disappointed the most in camp? So, Joe, I don't know if you, I don't know how much you saw uh, as far as that goes. I think for me, the most disappointed, I don't know that I was disappointed in a player more than day, the last day of camp. And a ball gets thrown in, you know, in the, in the direction <laughs> yeah. of Gabriel Davis. Yeah. Uh, and Gabriel Davis, he was he, the, the coverage was tight. The ball gets deflected. Micah Hyde makes an inc- and this has not been reported on anywhere. You, have you seen it reported on? I, I did a full breakdown on lockdown. I mean, outside of you, I've seen like the like the media guys, the, the the beat guys. I don't think I saw anybody report on it. But the ball gets tipped. Micah Hyde makes an incredible play on the ball. Intercepts the ball in the end zone. Gets up and starts sprinting down the sideline. Gabriel Davis takes chase and then shoves him in the back out of bounds about as hard as he possibly can and then Micah a leader on the team <laughs> chucks the football at Gabriel Davis's helmet <laughs> and connects <laughs> I mean it was so for me if I was most disappointed and, I, and, and Joe and I both had the same reaction it was just like this ain't good okay this now, ain't good. now you say this ain't good John our resident football player here who's been in these types of situations before. Is this a symptom of you've been at camp for a couple weeks and everybody's making plays and you're just ready to go hit somebody else? Or is this a problem? First of all, I just can't get over the fact that camp is only a couple weeks. Yeah, <laughs> right? Well, if, you know, if you're, if you're that wound up after a couple of weeks, and uh, <laughs> come on, please. In Rochester, at St. John Fisher, you're wound up? Forget it. Look, I don't have a problem with this. I don't care. I mean, guys have a bad moment. They throw a ball. Uh, you know what? I always say it's not a successful camp unless there's a fight. And it, you know, and, <laughs> we've held, and this one and, was a great camp. And I, I'm okay with it. You know, and and that's an opportunity for Micah Hyde to go back to Gabe Davis and say, "Dude, you absolutely f the dog on this one." And then you're coming after me. Uh, I, I don't. It, it wasn't about the fight. It wasn't about that. It was more about it was the shove. It was about the fact that Jordan Poyer's hurt. Mike is coming off of an injury, and he's the 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 one of the best players on the defense. And you're just shoving the guy, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the, just, the, these guys aren't made of glass. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's it. I, you know what? Uh, you, you could take a shove. I'm sorry. I, I'm still trying to figure out why the horse collar tackle became illegal. It was like, was there a rash of injuries from the horse collar? A bunch of broken legs. There were broken legs? Well, okay. I guess he's hand fighting. Literally, he's a John Fina's hand fighting. So a bunch of broken legs that culminated in Terrell Owens. So Terrell Owens was the final straw. So that's the Terrell Owens horse collar. I don't know. I mean, it's the tuck you, rule for wide receivers. Yeah, you know, my son plays at UCLA, right? And I was like, you guys do any two-a-days? And they're like, no, Dad, those are illegal. And I'm like, well, how do you find out who's tough anymore? <laughs> See, I mean, where, where's it. the blood on the goddamn grass anymore or plastic anymore? You know, I'm just and, – and I, and I think overall it's a good thing. But also, you know, it's, it's the crucible. So – that's a kind of a crucible moment. You know, maybe it was a bad decision. I, I don't know. I, 
Whatever. I, I, uh, I guess I was hoping for more positivity when it comes to O.J. Howard. Yeah, agreed. As the, agreed. As the tight end, too, and we have all romanticized about more 12 personnel and yeah. two tight end sets, and O.J. Howard's going to – it's all going to click in Buffalo. Well, I, I don't think we've – gotten that vibe yet yeah you watch practice and you know him and Dawson Knox are doing their own thing while Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris and Jalen Watermeyer are all doing teams so like there's definitely this belief that you could come away with by watching practice to think that he is the tight end too but I just wish that there was a little bit more positivity when it comes to, to OJ so OJ Howard's funny to me because one of the first things I actually the first place I read it I'll give him credit yeah it, it was Matt Perino wrote about just an innocuous throwaway comment and his 10, you know, hey, 10 things about today. It was one of the, like, third practices. It was like, like, no, that was from, like, OTAs. OTAs. Yeah, and he, yeah. Well, and he mentioned that he didn't look, he's like, I expected him to look less robotic. Yeah. I expected yeah. him to look more like a fluid tight end. So then Perfect camp, word, fluid. So, so then camp started, and he brought it back, like, day two or day three of camp and was like, still waiting to see something from oj howard i'm not seeing any pop i'm not seeing anything that makes him look special when he and i always thought that that was a little overblown because i guess a couple things one if oj howard was that special of a tight end that he was a fluid athlete in space and he was a big physical guy tampa wouldn't have let him walk the way that they did they would have done a little bit more to retain him than let him go for a one-year four million dollar contract his injuries have probably robbed him of some of what he could have developed into coming out of college. But even then, when I go, I'm an Alabama fan, and my friends make fun of me mercilessly about this because they're like, oh, you're a bandwagoner. Turns out I just was like, oh, that team, my buddy was a huge fan, and their coach just got suspended for some, like, scandal. All right, well, this team's going to suck. Sure. I, don't mind, yeah. I don't mind jumping on the bandwagon for this team. And then they hired Nick Saban, and the rest is right, history. right. But the thing was, he won more with size. He was just bigger than everybody. And it's like when you're talking about collegiate DBs and collegiate safeties, you can outclass some of those guys easily if you're just bigger and more physical. What I, what I would tell you about O.J. Howard, and I said this to Joe when he got when he got the camp on Wednesday, is because we talked about O.J. Howard. There was one play that I remember of the camps that I went to where he was wide open running, streaking across the field, had the ball, and it just looked lumbering. It didn't look, you used the word fluid. More importantly than that, and this is not to say that somehow Tommy Sweeney has a bead to make the make this roster. Tommy Sweeney had a, a better catch, a better moment, a better highlight than anything I saw from O.G. Howard in five days. Did you see anything from him in two days? Call one pass across the middle. I, but nothing on the field, but I think it does matter that he was that guy that wasn't doing teams, that was off to the side with Dawson Knox. Like I, you know, I'm at Panthers camp a couple weeks ago, and it's D.J. Moore and Robbie Anderson, their top two receivers while all the other receivers are doing special teams they're on a different field doing their own thing like the signs are clearly there that they view him as a tight end too i just wish that there was a little bit more tangible evidence of, of that being a good thing huh. yeah okay that's fair i mean you know the the plan in camp is not always the plan you leave with right plan going into <laughs> this camp, is fair right? this so, is fair i don't know i <laughs> I look at this is the Dawson Knox tight end offense, right? So you would, in my opinion, you're looking for if you're going to that personnel with two tights, you know, you got to have a guy that can block. So whether he can catch the ball or not, they're gonna they're gonna put him in a situation where he's he's not going to be a primary receiver, no. right? So he's going to be leaking out. He's gonna he's going to be leaking out late in the play, getting open, finding a soft spot. But to me. 
his value is going to be can he block? Can he can he add more to the balanced running game? That that's really what I I, I need to see. John, let let me tell you this. The, I, I said this in our podcast a week or two ago. You know who our backup tight end was last year? Our TE t- two was Tommy fucking Doyle. Your offensive lineman played more second tight end than an actual tight end, because all they they didn't have anybody last year. They knew that they knew what their depth chart was, and they leaned on a guy who could run block. Great, wonderful. I bet you dollars to donuts if you put Tommy Doyle and OJ Howard out there up against a jugs machine, one of them can catch more balls than the other guy. If this was the plan last year for tight end two and our offense was what it was, it almost has to be more efficient with OJ Howard out there as tight end two. So I get some of the hand wringing about him, but also in the red zone by default, he's a better option than anything we had last year. And our offense was pretty fucking good in the red zone. To John's point, I do think that my favorite thing about O.J. Howard coming out of Alabama was his run blocking. Yes. Like he's a good blocker. He will block. Right. And let's be real. We're talking 30 to 45 targets probably for the yes. tight end, too. nothing so, huge. So I, I do appreciate kind of coming full circle here, and that's not major and minoring, right? Like, he's going to block. He's going to yes. give him that versatility with the personnel groupings to provide that blocking role, and that allows Dawson to be more detached from the formation and move him around and create some of those mismatches that he can create with his size and athleticism. Yeah, okay. and he's going to sneak out once in a while, right, and to surprise somebody that isn't expecting it. Exactly. Right. Well, that's what I'm talking about. So, you know, he can be – he'll be the guy that finds a soft spot in the defense when things break down a little bit, right? So he's going to just leak right into that shallow spot behind the defensive line in front of the dropping linebackers, and he's just going to get this nice, soft little pitch. That's it. That's that's what you're looking for. And if that's all he is, that's okay. But you have to remember, too, like the defense has to account for him when he's on the field, whereas Tommy Doyle, you know, you're not really saying, oh, there's two tight ends on the field. This guy's primarily a blocker. He might get lost in space. They might run a play that, you know, is designed to get him the ball, like a gimmick, if you will. But it also helps you not tip your hand. But if you're the defense, you have to plan when there's two yes. tight ends on the field, whether you respect his ability to run or if he lumbers a little bit, you still have to say, you know, he's better than a backup offensive lineman. Everybody leaves camp with a feel-good moment, something that they saw over the course of those weeks that made them feel like, okay, our team might, not everybody, because there's something here coming out of the break that we're going to talk about. Not everybody, not for every franchise, gets to leave uh, camp with a feel-good moment. Uh, for the Buffalo Bills, what was yours? I'll tell you what, for me, it was the Bills finally getting their offensive line healthy, right? Yes. Roger Saffold yeah. off yeah. the NFI list. He's playing left guard. Ryan Bates is healthy. Spencer Brown's taking first-team reps and doing uh, one-on-ones, 11-on-11. So we started camp with just this mismatched offensive line. We ended camp with what we believe the preferred five starters are, getting that opportunity to work together and come together as a unit. Yeah, for me, I I, I would agree with Joe. I mean, the, the offensive line is a big is a big part of that, and just knowing what they looked like the first couple days in pads, and it was not good. Josh Allen constantly sacked, never had a pocket. There was one there was one highlight that came out on Twitter where Josh Allen was basically it had a huge pocket. It was the first time I had seen I wasn't at camp that day, the first time I had seen him with like a pocket to throw from. Uh, for me it's it's the continued depth of the wide receivers. Like there's this wide receiver group I tweeted it I think the second or third camp that I went to 
This is a group that can make contested catches. So we went for so many years with guys that weren't number one wide receivers. We didn't really have one on this team, but they like if anybody got near them, they couldn't even make a catch. To literally cornerbacks hanging on wide receivers and, and wide receivers making contested catch after contested catch after contested catch. So for me, there's an aspect of knowing who Josh is and that he's a guy that puts the ball on a player, that he's going to put a ball on the player and the player's going to catch the football. Since time immemorial, defenses start better at camp than offenses. Not last year. Just the way it goes, man. Last year might be an anomaly. I promise you it's that way every camp I've ever been to. And I'm talking, I was at camp with Jim Kelly, Andre Reed, Thurman Thomas, the list of legends, right? And the defense would come out every year and vex us for two to four days and then you'd find your rhythm it's just the way it goes we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so we are back, and we're here changing gears, talking about the preseason. Now, I've got, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I've, I've heard your feedback. I've gotten some emails. Some of my friends, not some of my friends, my friends bust my balls all the time. That's the type of relationships I think that you have to have. If you don't break balls, you're not really friends. Some people close to me have said, Drew, it seems like you're mailing it in this offseason. And I'm not going to lie to you. There is a part of me that, uh, Joe... You are guilty. A guy. I'm, this Joe is guilty. Here's what I'll say: You canceled your fucking show. You didn't even month. do one <laughs> for a month. Only a month. Fina, you took the summer off like a lazy teacher. You took the whole off season off. Like a like a public school teacher, you took the summer the off. The summer wind came blowing in from across Rich Stadium. <laughs> I lingered there and sat on my ass and listened to your bullshit. <laughs> And Joe was still out here just chopping wood every fucking day. Five days a week. Every day, five days a week. Eight days a week. (laughs) So Your team every day, baby. We do it. So this is the thing for me. You're talking about a guy. I've got two kids. I'm selling my house. I'm buying a new house. My my whole life is just a fucking whirlwind. Do you need a good agent? Because I know John Spascheck from the Market Dominator. The Market Dominator. He is the uh, host of the Overreaction Podcast. Uh, He's the the host. host. (laughs) Jesus Christ, the sponsor. The beers, folks. I'm the co-host. I'm the the coast host. Joe does all the work. I sit on my ass and say, okay, are we going to start this goddamn thing? So... With that said, I think for me, the thing was always camp is nice, 
But this year, there's so little at stake. We know what this football team is. We know who the key players are. We know there's a handful of battles. It's letting them get the... They need it. Bro, I'd say the fuck away from you. Can I yeah. say that? No, I see Joe's I'm face over you. Like, whoa, hot. man. Uh, hey, you don't talk like that. Yeah, you don't talk. <laughs> Like that, <laughs> resting on my laurels. That's rat poison, you Cal- Alabama Cal- family. What, you, what are you Cal- doing, cash in my wallet? Damn. So, so for you're, me, you know what? You you're like a pariah. Yep. Oh, dude. Hell no. In in every I got three f- words for you. Hell no. <laughs> you can't even let that thinking creep into your ears. That's why you're sitting here, though. The, yeah. mo- the moment the alcohol hit. Yep. So this is what I love. We're finally here at the preseason where they're going to put pads on, hit guys who aren't wearing their jersey, and they're actually going to start playing the game of football to figure out who needs to be on this roster and who doesn't. In less than 24 hours. So tomorrow, like if you're listening to this tonight, and you're going to download it tomorrow because you're sick, Fox, and for some reason you enjoy listening to me talk about this horse shit every single week, which I love you guys to death. We're talking about the preseason. Now, quickly, unit you feel the best and the worst about going into the preseason? The unit? Which unit do you feel best and worst about? Uh, uh, you be- just said uh, finishing camp, you felt the best about the wide receivers. Uh, no, no, I said I, I said that I don't. it wasn't the best what I felt best about. I think it was one of the things I was most ex- excited about. I remember what the question was that yes. you asked. How can you not feel best about the quarterback group, right? I mean, okay. it's Josh Allen, so, but that isn't fair. I don't think that's, no, I don't think that's, that's what you're asking. that's low-hanging fruit, no. Yeah, super low-hanging. Who do you feel good about as a unit on this football team? It's going to be the this? defensive line for me. I'm really excited to see the energy that this defensive line, this revamped defensive line brings as far as with Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, what Ed Oliver can do with with a guy that's not half interested next to him in a Star Latulale, along with Vaughn Miller on the outside, and then what Vaughn Miller does for Greg Rousseau. And it's funny because I believe it was Wednesday. Uh, I've got a picture of Vaughn Miller standing there with Rousseau, and I believe he was with Boogie Basham, or it was A.J. Epinesa, but he was coaching him up. Like the, the, They're out there on the field practicing, and Vaughn is off to the side with those two guys, basically just running through shoulder movements, hip movements, and things like that. So for me, it's the defensive line. Joe? Oh, man, I had a lot of time to think about this, and I, I, I wish I settled on something that I absolutely love because I want to say safety. I mean, Poyer and Hyde, I mean, could you be more confident in knowing what you're getting out of two players? I that? like DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson right, like as the, well. The depth is there, and Josh Thomas is interesting, and Nick McLeod's getting cross-chained. If Poyer didn't have the elbow thing, which we don't think is going to put him in jeopardy for week one, like, it's a slam dunk. And, and so I'm still going to – I'm going to go with it. Like, I, I have just total confidence – not only in, in Poyer and Hyde, but in the resume that Sean McDermott and Leslie hey, Frazier have coaching DBs and safeties, and just they always get it right. So I, I'm going to go with safety. But what was your least confident? Least oh, – oh, well, do, do you want me to talk about punt returners? I mean, because no. I can. I mean, that, no, that's, that's not a really Listen, if I, if I have to talk about punt returners one more time, I'll put a gun in my mouth. Me and Nate Geary. Let's middle- talk about punt returners. <laughs> What's the price of admission on that? <laughs> this is what I love about John Fina, folks. He's uh, damn it, up. Joe. I told you to get my filter. I fucking love it. For me, I guess I enjoy the idea. To, to your point, the defensive line and just seeing what they are from a depth because your depth players are the ones who play in the preseason. I want to see whether these young kids are as good as advertised because. There's a lot of pressure riding on the third and fourth defensive ends on this football team entering this season. The fifth defensive end, sixth defensive end, 
if some of these guys falter, if AJ Epinesa has a shit preseason and somebody steps forward and starts flashing, I don't think they cut him, but I think that you could see him enter the season with a diminished role. I think you could absolutely play into how this goes. The problem is, is the next guy is Mike Love. And well, so there's nobody that's yeah, going to be but jumping this is up my in point. front so of AJ So we need to see You don't see, love that. <laughs> so we need well to played. see it. The the thing that worries me to you mentioned some of this Joe Miller, the offensive line. Our starters have had zero continuity with each other, and what we saw from our backups wasn't promising during camp. There was a lot of miscues. Bobby fucking Hart was getting time with the ones. That tells you that things have come off the rails. You don't get to play for my... It's like Cody Ford. At guard. At guard. At guard. If if anybody did not catch the Humpty Hotline on Wednesday, Jay Spencer King literally said, I don't need Bobby Hart like having New York State taxes taken out of his paycheck. That's where he was at with the whole thing. He's like, can we just not have him on our football team? Just like Cody Ford, you wear sweatpants to a steakhouse in front of me, you're cut. Flat earthers? If you believe the earth is flat, you're off my fucking football team. I just don't need you. Bobby Hart's Twitter account's weird. That's what he's telling you. It's really weird. All right. Hey, hey, all right. Because I know you want to close it out like before midnight. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I'd like to see the offensive line play better. I mean, Josh made them look good last year. I think they played well. I'd like them to play a little weller. Right? So I don't want Josh to – I'd like Josh to save them 50% as much this year as he did the previous. Okay. Okay? I'll I'll, I'll die on this hill. If we played better as a front four last year on defense, we'd we'd have gone to the big game. We might have won it. That, to me – you guys are optimistic about it. I'm waiting for the proof. I'm waiting for the pudding to solidify a little bit here or congeal, whatever adjective you want to use when you're making pudding. But if, <laughs> if we can get four to play, like really effing play, then this team is a contender. Because Josh can make the offensive line look better when they're a little soft, but we cannot come soft as a defensive front four. And that was it. Sorry. No. Now, you're, and, you're and not having correct. been there, I can't say who looked great or who didn't look great, but I'm a trench guy. I'm always watching the trench. More from the front on defense and a little bit better on the offensive line, and we got a shot. Lightning round. Let's go around the table as we close this out. Who has the most to gain? Who has the most to lose? Joe Miller? No preparation. Who has the most to gain? Who has the most to lose? In the preseason? Yeah, just in the preseason. In the preseason. Who has the most to gain? When the preseason, when the pads come on, who has the most to gain? Isaiah Hodgins has the most to prove. They've given him every opportunity to make this football team so far in camp from what I've seen to the point of a guy that has not played special teams practice-wise in his first two seasons is now... We saw him in every position almost from a, other than kicker and punter or long snapper in on special teams. But he also played the X, he played the Y, he played the slot. So he's got the most to gain, in my opinion, in a very, very crowded, very crowded uh, wide receiver room. Who has the most to lose? It's got to be Kier Elam, right? I mean, I, I can understand why you would say that. I, I, I just... Uh, I don't think we're going to write the book on Kyrie whether or not like if he's the week one starter across from Dane or Tre'Davious, whatever he's ready to go. Like, I don't know how much we should put into that. But. Said the guy that brought up John McCargo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you brought up John McCargo, dude. That I didn't realize how much of a sin that was. Like, I didn't I didn't realize the nerves that that was going to strike. I mean, come on, dude. 
you mu- Terrell Troop wasn't his fault. John McCargo, that's You're going to have to let this go. Terrell Troop. For the rest of the podcast, which is like 30 seconds, let it go. Most of most the game, Nick McLeod. Uh, playing corner, outside, inside, safety. He can really prove a lot of versatility in game situations. That's going to matter. Most to lose Matt Hawk. I, I, you know what I mean? Like this guy. This guy oh, that's a good this one. This guy's uh, very much in danger of not getting those New York State uh, taxes deducted from his paycheck. Thanks for skipping over me. That, well, yeah, you were about to skip. You're standing up. You look like you're about to walk out of here, but maybe just your old. My ass has been on a plane for like 14 hours to get here to, to get abused by you. Because you're old. So let me give you a little. Hurts. Let me give you a little abuse here. All right. If you're not walking into camp every year thinking you're the guy that's got the most to lose, then you got the wrong attitude because you're proving yourself every GD rep when you're out there. Like, I'll say the F word, and I won't say goddamn. What's wrong with me? I do like that. I do like that about you. So, (laughs) listen, they've all got the most to lose. And and if you don't think that way, it's just like you're like, oh, this team's oh, we're golden. No, that's no, not the attitude. I don't attitude. think that we're golden. I'm just too tired. That's I'm just the, too tired That's to the attitude you got to have. Everybody's got to have that feeling like someone's coming after you. They, look, they brought guys in to beat me out a couple, three times in my career. And that was legitimately why Mo Elowanibi was here. Like, we want you to push this guy. All and, right. And that's the way it goes. And I'm, so I'm you the, felt I'm it. the incumbent. Yep. And you can't walk into training camp thinking, yeah, I'm just going to breeze through this thing. Number one, if you give a half-speed rep, you're looking at injury, right? Yep. Number two, if you don't think that guy is hungry, that's probably because you're not hungry. So Ooh, you right. got to be hungry. All right. I like that. That's it. Mic drop. So my answer would be, first of all, most to uh – most to gain is Tavon Austin. I mean, let's talk about Tavon Austin for a second. Uh, six years ago, best season of his entire career, over 100 targets. He only turned it into 500 yards. He had a catch percentage of just 56%. He's not an offensive producer. He just isn't. And, he, and, and now he's six years older. He's 32 years old. He, he's the, the book is closed on him being an asset to an NFL offense. Yeah, he's looking to connect. He's looking to collect his retirement paycheck. But he has now been inserted as the first first string punt returner for the for Buffalo a, Bills. For a depth chart that per a depth does, chart that is very fluid. That you can wipe your ass with. And the thing is, the guy behind <laughs> you is a rookie who the team has already. I mean, based on the amount of teams and all the chatter about how everyone was high on uh, Khalil Shakir, everyone was mad that the Bills landed him. There will if you you can't practice squad that guy. If you no. do, there will be teams on his doorstep the next he's, morning. He's a roster lock. He's a roster lock. So with that said, you have to go up against a roster lock and prove that you can do something he can't. That you do something so special in this one facet of the game where you might be able to prove yourself that they can't get rid of you. He has the most to prove. He has the most to gain f- from anybody because he could go from being. Number one on the punt return preseason depth chart to being unemployed in one game. He muffs a punt. He fumbles. He has a bad game. He's got to be not just sharp, but he's got to be impact. His legitimate, his legitimate roster options at this point are potentially making this football team as a specialist. Yes. Or being one of the first five cuts. And that's because he he's, he's not a gunner. He's not a coverage guy. He's either you field punts or you're not in the NFL this year. He's everything's on the line for that guy, and I ex- I hope he comes out swinging. The most to lose, I think, is the D- 
defensive back group because we talked about it a couple weeks ago during our podcast. During his introductory press conference for camp, Bean said, he was asked about the, the veteran market for cornerbacks, and he said, well, I want to see how this plays out first. Now they've given, to your point, Benford, got and run with the ones, yep. Joe. Yep. And Kyer Elam, he's had his ups and downs throughout training camp. Now the pads are going to go on, and they're going to play against a game, who, uh, against a team who's not game planning, right? Nobody's game planning at this point, but a team that's trying to put up points, and they're going to try to embarrass you if they can. Depending on how our trio of young cornerbacks, Elam, Benford, uh, uh, Elam's a lock, obviously. Benford, I, I don't know if they'd practice squad him, but... Was there Cam Lewis? I didn't see much of Cam Lewis. No, Cam he Lewis. a lot, yeah. So, so the reality is, is that this defensive back group as a whole, especially the cornerbacks, if you guys don't show out in the first week, I guarantee you, Brandon Bean is already starting to back channel. And if in week two it's not improved they're probably making a move to bring in what they'll probably find the cap space somewhere which might mean a, a casualty we don't see coming some restructures he'll find a way to get a guy in here if he doesn't think that this room needs one more body who can play on sundays if he doesn't see it from these guys and one of one two maybe three of them are losing their jobs i think that that group has the most to lose not just in terms of numbers, but in terms of cachet, their NFL futures. Guys, th- this is hilarious. Hey, what's going on? I love that people walk in the bar and they're like, wait, wait, what's going on here? Guys with headphones, microphones, is that a football player? Holy shit. <laughs> Joe, I appreciate you sitting in with us on short notice. Dude, you just fucking showed up here. I, I just came to, to have a beverage and, you know, hang out with some friends, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, and awesome. Why don't you plug your shit? Tell everybody where they uh, can find you. What do you got? Co- what do you have coming up this week? Since you're a fucking workaholic in the podcast game, uh, <laughs> a daily podcast on the <laughs> Buffalo Bills, Locked On Bills, free and available to you on all platforms, including YouTube. Got the book, Go Bills. It's dropped. Like it's going to be ass, the book. Yeah, with John Cena's on the cover. Uh, there it is, man. Oh! Imagine not being here for this moment. Imagine <laughs> not being here. For th- As he slaps his left ass cheek. Go Bills. Uh, you can buy it at uh, buffalobillsbook.com. Uh, it's going to be a va- it's going to ship this month. So I literally cannot wait for everyone to get that and of course on Twitter at the Joe Marino the draft network.com. Uh, not nearly as impressive. You can find me on Twitter jo- at John Fina. I guess um, Instagram, if I ever open it, at John Fina seventy. And uh, you know what? I'm on the Off Tackle with John Fina podcast with my man, the legend Joe Miller. He's the host. I am the coast host. I don't do anything. I just show up. Joe plans it all, leads it all. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, we have a fun time, don't we, Joe? We do. It's a blast. So, And I uh, clearly have, you know, my, my primary show is the Overreaction Post Game Show, which literally will debut on Saturday after this, this first preseason game uh, for the season. And then uh, the Off Tackle with John Fina show. And then the Humpty Hotline with Jay Spence the King on Wednesday nights. So all live on YouTube, 8 p.m. Yeah, be there, be square. Guys, this has been so much fun, and I appreciate that no matter what happens, you guys somehow indulge me on this nonsense every single time. Perfect word. You indulge me on this nonsense. You're the OG, Drew. I just... The OG. You're the Mel Kuyper. Mel Kuyper is to draft (laughs) coverage to what Drew Greer is to Buffalo Bills podcasting, sir. Thank you for what you've done. And thank God I only have to do it once a year, for Christ's (laughs) sakes. This is... 
this is what I love about this. It's 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 ball busting. It's camaraderie. It's getting to talk to people incredibly smarter about football than I am. And it's about not getting, me. It's about getting to drink beer and hang out and talk about something we all love. I, he's flexing on me with biceps small. John Fina's biceps are smaller than mine. I think. I think I finally made it. Oh, I can't wait for the. Oh, we're gonna measure as soon as we end this podcast, guys. Thank Bro, you so much. We aren't measuring. Yeah, we're not measuring. <laughs> No, what I love is I think my wingspan is almost similar no, to John's. No, it's not. He's got an 80-inch wingspan. You're, you're not close. I'm, oh, you're not close. We'll see. You're not close. Guys, I can't wait. We're going to get the hell out of here for tonight. I'm Drew Gear. This has been just a, This is Joe Miller. That's John Fina. That's Joe Marino. That's Joe Marino. Guys being dudes. I literally almost said Joe Miller again. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. You two both have the best voices for podcasts. You're welcome. I, Nothing to Joe Miller. Okay. His voice is real. I have to, like, get in character. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. You have to get in character. <laughs> I got to do my podcast voice when I'm on with Joe. Hey, before we leave, Wait, can you serenade I, I got to do Girl. Can you, you serenade us on the way out? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> he's, he's already sang a few times on this. I think Frank Sinatra. I don't know what more you want from the man. Fucking hilarious. Guys, guys, we're going to go drink some beer. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>